I'm about to share a story that isn't a particularly pleasant story, and I've got Tanya's permission to share it, just so that you're aware. This past Tuesday, Tan and Daniel went out to prayer, and they came back, and Daniel headed off to bed. And Tanya said to me, I've put a scratch on the car. And I was like, oh dear. So we both went out and looked at our nice, newish Kia. And I said, that ain't no scratch, that's a gouge. I was livid. I was ropeable. I was really, really annoyed. Because this is the second time this happened. Two cars, the same post that she's hit. And so I let her know. I didn't share anything that was untrue. Everything I shared was true. I talked about how it wasn't really an accident, it was negligence. And she said, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I said, if you walk out on a road and don't look for cars and you get hit by a car, what is that? So Tan headed off to bed. And I jumped on the internet and found our insurance policy and then jumped on the Xbox and smashed some cars up, driving around a track till about one o'clock in the morning. There's some people in here feeling really relieved right now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm glad you found it funny. And then I went to bed. And I woke up in the morning and I started to process. No, everything I said was right. Yep, we're not being good stewards of the $800 excess that we're now going to have to pay. We get nothing for that money. It's a waste of money. Imagine what we could have blessed someone with, with $800 in our pocket. No, no, I'm all right. You laugh, but you know why you've been here, haven't you? So then I start my day job. If you don't know, I'm a pastor. <laughs> this is being recorded, yes. And I don't you know, but part of being a pastor is, is talking to people. And for some bizarre reason, Wednesday, and I, lo- I looked this up, my phone said I spent four hours on the phone talking to people. Every single call except for one, I had a missed call from someone else that wanted to talk to me that I then tried to call them. And I, I spent hours on the phone, plus two hours catching up with people. So we're talking six hours, and I have, I'm not even, we haven't even got to worship practice yet. And there was a point in the day where I spotted something. I spotted a pattern. See, God was phenomenal. He was using me on that day. He was speaking through me. There were things that were coming to my mind in conversation and catching up with people, and, and he was using me, and there were words that were flowing out of my mouth that the Spirit had put there. And God said, it'd be really nice if you listened to some of these things too, Matt. And he was spot on. Because in my, in my self-righteous justification of my actions, I hadn't even bothered to ask him what the correct response was. And here I am talking to people about how they should engage and interact with others, a godly approach to dealing with frustration and annoyance and things that aren't how they meant to be. And I know in my heart that the word says, love your wife like Christ loved the church that laid down a life for it. 
I know that. And yet I completely didn't want to know it that morning. And so I had to apologize to Tan. And Tan said, no, no, everything you said was right. I said, no, it might have been technically correct. It was not right. It was wrong. It was 100% wrong. I had no love for you in that moment. I had no desire to see how you were feeling, how you felt about the situation. Were you doing okay? How were you doing? How do you feel about this? It's okay. It's just a car. There's so much eternal things going on here. It's just money. There's so much more in the kingdom that we can be champing and fighting for and getting passionate about and, and upset about than this. And yet I didn't want a bar of it that morning. And God challenged me. And he said, Matt, I'm not going to waste this situation. You're going to spill the beans on Sunday. <laughs> but he said, Catalyst has a problem because it's not just you. Catalyst, specifically, I often talk about the church and I say, it's all right, guys. We're talking about the big church. Catalyst has a problem. And he wants us to deal with it. And it's how we see other people and their brokenness. And there's four voices that I want to talk about that we hear. But only one of them is God's. And I'm going to start with the punchline. We call ourselves a revolution of love. That's, that's what we aspire to. That's what we desire. And I believe we genuinely want that. But when we look at the model of what that looks like, it's a guy hanging on a cross saying, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's what a revolution of love looks like. And there's some stuff that we need to own and say, God, I want to be passionate about what it means to follow you and be a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, someone that loves like you love. The world says when we have a situation where we look at someone's weakness, we look at their failing, we look at their inability to grow, we look at their stubbornness and characteristics that aren't healthy, we all see it. We all know that we see that in people. We all see that. The world has a perspective that says, find people that make you happy. If someone isn't making you happy, go find someone that's going to make you happy. That's what the world says. The world says, invest in winners. Don't invest in losers. Invest in winners. The world says, just Put them in a too hard basket. And the conclusion from the world's picture is that don't, you don't, just don't bother. It's not worth it. Now, you think Jesus was a perfect man. He was God in the picture of a man. And yet he experienced the world's picture, the world's message. He experienced firsthand. There were moments where people didn't like what he was saying, and they left him in droves. Hang on, this is getting too hard. I'm going to leave. I'm out of here. And we're talking about Christ, the Lord, Jesus, who's speaking truth in power and authority with the Spirit's anointing. And people are going, even when you're not doing the wrong thing, I'm stepping away. But God says in response to that, my mission is to the sick. If you can identify weakness in someone, if you can identify sickness, if you can see something that's wrong, 
that's my mission field. My heart is for that person. My heart is for the ones that are broken and know that they're broken. He says, I've chosen the foolish and weak things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. The world's picture of what success looks like, the world's picture of what a winner looks like, is not God's model. It is not his model. And when we look through the lens and when we listen to the voice of the world that says, don't bother, we are measuring success a flawed way. It is not what God models and teaches. And God says, I am God, nothing is too hard for me. Even that person, even that group of people that the world says don't bother, God says, I bother. I am able to do something here. I am not giving up on anyone. The second perspective is ourselves, the self. And the self has a lot to say, as I've shared with my internal conversation about Tan. I had plenty to say to myself. I know they're in the wrong, and I am justified to feel annoyed. It's true, isn't it? Every starting point of the check in my head goes to this message, goes to this point of saying, am I right? I am right. They did stuff up. They, did, they are flawed. There is a problem. Let's not bury it. Let's not pretend it's not there. It is there. And I'm just pointing out something that really is there. That's my starting point. How long will it take for them to get it? How long do I have to wait? I've been waiting years for this person to change this characteristic or this attitude. How much longer? I've been really patient. I have been doing the right thing. They're the ones that have a problem and it's time for them to do something about it, not me. How much longer do I have to wait? I really just want to, what's my words? Slap some sense into them. They just need a good spiritual slap across the face. <laughs> I'll just wake up to the problems. I need to get it off my chest, so I'll share my frustrations with anyone who listen, and hopefully they'll affirm my thinking, except the person that we've got an issue with. So we go around and we go, how annoying was that? Yeah, I agree. That's really annoying. That frustrates me. I find that really, really, really frustrating. The conclusion, which we don't often like saying, but is true, I'm better than they are. I am better than them. Is the conclusion, whether we like to admit it or not, the self says, I've identified weakness and problems that aren't being fixed and aren't being corrected and they're, they're wrong and they need to work on it. But I don't have that problem. I am better. God says something about this too. He says, very clearly, do not criticise or judge each other. He says he will complete what he started. He will finish what he started, not me. He says, put away anger and slander. Get rid of it. It's not part of his agenda. He says, be patient, not grumbling against one another. He says, speak the truth in love. He says, be humble, not self-righteous. And I've picked out some verses. I can find you 10 more for each if you want. If you're not convinced this is what God's perspective is, I'm quite happy to find more Bible passages. Um, and I, if, if you question them, please look, start looking them up. He says, remember your old ways and who saved you. 
You have nothing to be proud about. You have nothing to be able to say that I'm better than somebody else because the only reason you're where you are is because I saved you and I provided. And he says, help your brother or sister. If they're sinning and there's an opportunity to bring them back, wow, that is, that's amazing. Help them. The third one is the enemy. And then he says, they're not going to change. How long have you known them for? They're not going to change. It's okay to feel discouraged and disheartened. This is a big one. And I suspect there's some people like me that when this came to me, I was like, well, hang on, that is okay, isn't it? Is it okay? Is that what God's saying? Is God saying it's okay to be discouraged and disheartened? Ask the question. You should withdraw to protect yourself. This is not healthy. You're angry. You're, you're upset. I can see, you can see things aren't how they're meant to be. You need to withdraw. Get away. Step out of the situation. That's going to help you. Life is better, healthier, more free, fruitful, whatever, without them. They are a problem. They are a thorn. They are an issue. And life is better without them. Things will be so much better if that person wasn't in my life. And the conclusion from the enemy is there is no hope. There is no hope for them. Let go, get away, withdraw. And again, God makes it really clear. Paul talks about being the chief sinner and he uses it as a prime example of God's great patience. He talks about rejoicing in the Lord always and thinking about praiseworthy things. That was the last thing on my mind Wednesday morning, was thinking about praiseworthy things. And he says time and time again, do not isolate yourself. Do not isolate yourself. And the strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And the Holy Spirit fills us with hope. The Holy Spirit, in our place where there's hopelessness, the Holy Spirit gives us hope. And God, again, from the previous passage, will complete what he started. He will finish the work he started. We have this sense and idea that growth and maturity is like a, a linear process. As time goes on, we get more mature. And we kind of see that in our children when they go, when they were little, they didn't know much, and then they learnt a little bit more, and then they learnt a little bit more, and then they were a teenager, and then they're an adult. But the story of the Jewish people show us a very, very different picture. This is what maturity looks like more than a nice line. Yeah? If you think about the Jewish nation, does anyone want to tell me early on what's, what's something that happened really right in the beginning? So God was walking in the garden, having awesome evening strolls with, with his creation. And what happened? They sinned. And what was their response? Isolation, judgment of others. Oh, hang on, we've got a bunch of things happening here. Blame. Do you think their maturity and growth went up or down? went down. It's obvious. And you see in the journey of the life of the Israelite people time and time again, we have two phrases that get used a lot. They feared the Lord and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They feared the Lord and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And their journey as a nation goes up and down into captivity, 
where they went, God, we've stuffed up and we got really selfish. We forgot you. We forgot about fearing you. We surrender. We want to change. And God said, I've so been wanting your heart to change. And he comes and they have seasons of prosperity and worship and amazing times and, and then things change again. And it goes up and down like this. And our lives are no different. Our lives are very, very similar to like the Israelite nation. And we have ups and downs. And the problem is we look at each other's lives and we look at people in circumstances and we say, you should be where I am. You should get it like I get it. You should grow up like I've grown up. And we forget that while I might be on this ramp going up and my brother's going down, it does not mean that he's a waste of space because that's where I was. Now, this is obviously a simple little picture and don't read too much into it um, because at the end of the day, we can talk about maybe patience. And we go, I was really impatient God taught me some things and I became more patient. But there was once upon a time I was patient and now I'm more patient. But my anger, I'm still really immature with my anger. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we can't say maturity is just a line. But my point is, we forget that, and it's been mentioned this morning, it's been mentioned a couple of times, that, that life is a journey and that our responsibility, our, our accountability to one another is not for everyone to be where we are at today is not to be the same, but to encourage one another, to love one another, to spur one another on, to stand in unity, to champion each other, to believe in the best in each other, to see what God sees in people, not what the world sees in people, or even what I see in them. And it's really clear and really helpful for me to see that someone else's brokenness is not failure, is not definitive, is not the conclusion. It's actually an opportunity for us to be the body. It's actually an opportunity for us. Maybe it took me two years to get that. Imagine if I can journey with them and they only do it in a year and a half. Wouldn't that be awesome? They get a half a year head start on me. Fantastic. And at no point in the line is it worth giving up on them. So what, as Jesus followers, is our response? I think it's really simple and I think Jesus set this agenda. He wants us to model what the right way is. If you think you've mastered something, if you think you've got a grasp on something, if you think God's given you revelation in an area, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to model what that looks like. So many times I hear people say, gee, the church really struggles with this. And you go, how are you doing? How do you? F oh, nah, nah, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for us all to be on the same page and then I'll do it. And you go... You don't believe that the church needs to change if you're not prepared to change yourself. Now, I'll tell you, it is hard. I'm not pretending that trying to step out when there's a whole bunch of people dragging their heels is easy. Please hear me. I'm not saying it's a walk in the park and it's blissful. But if you have revelation from God, if you have truth and love in your heart that you think someone else doesn't have, you were given that to share it. It wasn't given you to store up and keep as treasure that, that's only yours. It was given to be light and salt. And you start by showing what life that way looks like. That's step one. Step two is to pray. Because so much of what God said is the ball's in his court, not in ours. 
He's going to transform someone's life. He's going to renew them. He's going to restore their brokenness. He's going to draw them back into the place that he wants them to be. And time and time and time and time again in Scripture, we're called to pray in circumstances where there's brokenness, to pray in circumstances where there's breakthrough needed, to pray in circumstances that look hopeless to us, to pray when we don't feel like we've got the tools or the resources or the capacity to do something about it. We've got to pray. I'm so excited that Tuesday night was pumping at at, uh, the Beard's house. Like for me, as in the life of the church, praying together is a fundamental part of what we're called to do. It is fundamental to what we're doing. And so if there's someone that is irritating you, do the opposite to what I modeled on Wednesday morning. I didn't want to pray because I didn't want to know the answer. I wanted to stay exactly where I was. I didn't want to hear another opinion. I wanted self to be the one that spoke loud and clear. I wanted to stay wallowing. It was only in in the place where I started talking to other people and words were coming out of the mouth that, that were truth that was not reflective of what was in my heart that God pointed out the hypocrisy of that. My starting point should have been, there's a gouge in the side of the car. Oh dear, I need to pray. <laughs> I need God's perspective here because mine is not healthy. I've got four voices going on and some of them are much louder than God's voice. And I'm a servant of Christ and I want to listen to his voice first and foremost. And if I, I can't do that if I'm not praying. I can't do that if I'm not seeking him. And so when I hit this spot of frustration and annoyance and and irritation of other people, I'm going to be on my knees because that's where the battle is fought and won. And the third is to respond biblically in love. Letters to churches through the New Testament are packed full of how to interact with one another. We like to pull out the tiny little bits that talk about where there's false teaching where there's things of disputes, and we like to, like to go, how do I respond to that? And that's good. I'm not trying to say we should just cover everything over and pretend that everything's blissful. That is not the answer to the problem. But overwhelmingly, through the entirety of Scripture, God has a plan and purpose that is good, that is uplifting, that is encouraging, and sees the best and hope in people, in the church, in his kingdom, in what he's doing. And the day that we undermine that is the day that we're not on the same page as God. And if we're going to stand with each other and try to champion the agenda of God in the lives of those around us and us as a community and our culture, we've got to do it God's way or else we are flawed. So that's the hard stuff. The good stuff is God disciplines the ones he loves. I believe God wants to reveal this to me and to us as a body because he loves us and he wants to see the best. He does not want us to stay in any place where our minds are unhealthy, where our hearts are unhealthy, where we're restricted, constricted, not hearing his voice, not not obeying, not obedient. That's not fruitful. And so the exciting part of the picture is We have an amazing opportunity of hope and of purpose and of intentionality if we choose to accept. If we choose to change our ways, he will be faithful to what he's done to his bride, the church, and to the fruitfulness of the church and the 
the health and, and life of the church will happen if we're obedient. I think most of you know in your heart the areas in this picture where you've heard voices, where you've responded to voices that have not been God's. That's not for me, that's between you and God. I would really encourage you to repent, to say, God, I don't want to have that attitude. I'm struggling. I find it hard to change. But I want your spirit to do something new in my life. And I'd really encourage you to do that in your time, in your way, that's genuine. I'm not going to force that right now. But as a church, we need to make a choice. We need to decide what we value what we find significant, and what we're going to fight for. We need to agree that a revolution of love looks like something. We need to agree that we are not going to be people that allow ourselves to stay in that place, but we agree that we are going to encourage, we are going to hope, we are going to spur one another on, we are going to be people that reflect the right way, that model what we believe God is calling us to. And we are going to pray. We're going to pray that when the enemy comes along and says, give up, retreat, be discouraged, we're going to say, rack off, you have no authority here. And when my brother or sister comes to me and says, I'm discouraged, I'm feeling flat, I want to withdraw, you say, I'm praying for you because I believe that's the enemy lying to you. That is not the answer to this problem. That's not God speaking to you. And I rebuke it. I'm going to stand with you. And I'm going to love you right to the point at which you see what's going on here. We need to make that choice as a community. And again, that's not a, a choice that we, we wallow in and we go, oh, we're, we're failures. This is terrible. That's a choice that we step in proactively because the victory is Jesus. The opportunity is ours. The, the next step is a good step. It's a beautiful step, it's a strong step, it's a confident step, and it's a step that is intentional. I'd love us to just stand and pray together. If you feel comfortable standing and, and you want to stand in agreement, I'd love to pray for, for this. I'd love to pray for the truth and love of the Spirit of God to be our focus, to be healthy, to be intentional. And that requires us to let go of the lies of the world, of ourselves, and of the enemy. So if, if you want to stand in unity with that, I'd encourage you to do that now. Lord God, we thank you so much for your truth. Lord God, we thank you so much for the plans and purposes you have that are good. And first of all, Lord, we, we confess communally, corporately, Lord God, that there's times where we listen to other perspectives, other voices than yours. And we treat them with respect and honour and weight and value that they do not deserve. So Father, we stand today and we rebuke the lies of the enemy and we say you have no authority in this place. We cut those lies off in Jesus' name over each and every person, heart, mind, uh, group, ministry and say they have no authority. Spirits of isolation, of discouragement, of negativity. Lord, you are our Lord and there is no other. And we reject those lies in your name.
But Lord, we don't want to stay there. We want to be people that respond in obedience to your truth. And Lord, I'm convinced you have chosen to discipline us, Lord God. You have chosen to to speak your truth to us this morning because you love us and you want us to move forward in obedience. And so, Lord, we surrender to you right now and we stand in unity and we agree, Lord, that your truth is the way we want to follow. Your revolution of love, a love that is unconditional, that's different to the world, that's countercultural, Lord, is one that we want to be passionate about, Lord God. And Lord, in our weakness, in our confusion, in our immaturity, Lord God, we ask you to be our strength. We ask you to be our portion. We ask you to to fill the gap. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that model, that pray, and that get alongside one another and encourage each other. And we ask you to do that in our lives. Restore any brokenness, Lord God. Restore any hurt. Restore any, anything, Lord God, where there's unforgiveness. And Lord, we pray you would soften our hearts, that we would be pioneers of love, that we would be pioneers of your kingdom and your purpose. And above all, Lord God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit that brings hope and joy and peace and power on your people, Lord God that we don't step aimlessly into the next season, Lord God, but we step with confidence because you are God and you have provided. In Jesus' name, amen.